Hi, I'm Brooke Lepore-Trench from Elle Australia, and today I'm joined by finance experts Effie Zahos and Shez Ford to talk about taking control of your finances. And if ever there was a time to make your move, this would be it. Earlier this year, we had Michelle Williams using her Emmy speech to highlight equal pay for women. Sportswoman Ash Barty claimed the biggest winner's check in tennis history. In football, the Matildas have been guaranteed pay equity with the Socceroos. So is now the time to be pushing ourselves forward when it comes to our own financial circumstances? Isn't that great? Isn't that great that we've come so far? We still have a long way to go. But I, I always bring it back to our own lives, the, you know, the average woman out there. And it's so hard these days, I feel, to actually move ahead with finances. And it shouldn't be. But it is really a sign of the times at the moment. I mean, we have stagnant wage growth. Even though inflation is still low, the cost of living is high. And, and, I, and I know you can slice and dice these numbers any which way you want. But it's interesting that the things that we need have gone up. The things that we want have gone down. So just to explain that, you know, I can get, uh, how many plasma TVs do you need? You can get those quite cheap these days, but their wants, the needs, petrol, energy, education, healthcare, all that has gone up. And if wages are stagnant as well, you can see why, as you just said, now more than ever, we really need to sort ourselves out and no longer have that ostrich effect, put your head in the sand, take control of your finances. Why do we often shy away from talking about money? I, as a rule, I freelance a lot and I've always tried to talk about the day rate that I make where I'm working and talk with my friends about what I'm earning because I think a lot of the time it's hard to know what to ask for because you don't know where you sit on the landscape of earnings. You think, Am I earning well? Is this fair? Am I being undervalued? And it's really hard to know. Absolutely. I, I think it's a topic that women in particular find really challenging, whether it's a lack of confidence or, you know, sometimes it's cultural. There's a level of embarrassment and shame because you don't want to be showing off. You don't want to also feel like you're not matching your peer group. So it's a, it's a difficult conversation, I think, for a lot of women. But it is a conversation that we do need to lean into because the more confident you get about talking about it, you make better choices, you negotiate yet better deals, whether it's even in terms of suppliers and, and service providers, I think just having the confidence to talk about money is really important as you go through life in particular. It's hard at work and it's hard at home. I always email my husband about finances, you know, rather than have a hard conversation. He can have a think about it, then we come back to it. Mm. Are there any techniques or tips that you have that might help us start talking about money more? Yeah, money conversations is probably one of the things we don't do too well. And as Shez was saying, a number of reasons why. Look, I, I think when you are in a relationship, you know, you can look at so many different surveys. About one in four of us apparently have some kind of dirty money secret. Um, <laughs> so uh, if there was four of us in the room, I'd be pointing the finger at one of us. <laughs> yeah. And often um, not talking about money puts the greatest amount of stress on relationships uh, as well. And it's not easy. I mean, you say you email your partner yeah. uh, some topics that you want to talk about. I think that's great. I think it's important to set out some time, even put it into a calendar and approach it in that way because otherwise, you know, time moves fast and you just don't get there. But having said that, and I think I've been pretty clear on this, I actually don't reveal a lot to my partner as far as um, 
what I earn and what I spend, but our goals are the same. So we set our goals and we have this money conversation. How is it tracking? We said we're going to reach this target. How are you going? And we have these money conversations because often when relationships do break down, money is often cited as one of the reasons why. And you can understand that because money personalities, you're always kind of attracted to the opposite, aren't you? And the same goes with money personalities. My partner is self-employed and for all the people out there that are listening and self-employed, cash flow. Cash flow is a huge problem. So obviously he's going to pay his employees, himself first and so on before he pays a bill. And I'm the opposite. If I don't have my bill paid on time, I worry. If I don't save, you know, I treat savings as a bill. That has to happen. So that's why we split our finances so we can sleep well at night. In terms of pay rise. It's not a given that you're going to get a pay increase. I've been in so many conversations. I think you take a job and then you go in after a year and you've done a good job, but that job has a salary attached to it and you can't keep growing and expect that the salary is going to keep going up. And after about 10 years in the workforce, you see this pattern where you realise, okay, I'm going to have to get the next job up because that's where the the pay rise that I want now is. I can't expect them to let me keep growing in this role and be rewarded for that. Mm. Where does asking for pay rise then meet that practical knowledge that you took a job, it has a salary attached to it, and to get more money you have to keep moving up, you have to keep advocating for your own growth. Mm. You can't expect an employer to keep rewarding you because... It's unlikely someone's going to come to you and go, you know what, you deserve a pay rise. You're just going to get it. For me, it's all about timing. Pick your timing right. We are, as I just said before, you know, wages have been sluggish for a long time. How is the company going to? Are they profitable? If they're profitable, great. If your company is going to liquidation, it's probably not a good idea for a pay rise. But you've got to remember also, be clear on what your role is. What is your job description? It's hard to get a pay rise if you're just doing your job. Well, that's what you paid for. I'm paying you for that. In most cases, if you approach it like any kind of business analyst, this is what I've brought. This is what I've done. This is how much I've contributed. This is the net result. It'd be hard for your employer not to recognise that and go, were you providing above and beyond? But your timing's very, very important. You don't just throw it at the end of a conversation. You need to plan it. You need to let them know, I want to see you next Tuesday to discuss pay rise and I want to show you what I've done for the financial year. So going prepared. Uh, I agree. So key part of it, while you're in a role, you have to be assertive and strong and proud of what you're doing and, and not be afraid to ask. The other, I think, is for all of us is to also plan your career around what are the experiences that I need to get so that my career is versatile, that I can move to a different role that might be a broader role that gives me greater opportunity for pay growth and and to ask for more. So not just how you perform in the current role, but have a bit of a future mindset and to think, you know, I'm getting these experiences now, but if I go and get some other experience, which may feel like a sideways move, it sets you up for a broader role in the future. So career planning um, is as much part of it, I think, as it is about being proud and being assertive and asking for what you feel you, you know, you deserve. And if there's no money, what do you both think about the, you know, offering, going for flexibility or upskilling or it sometimes doesn't feel great, but at least you're getting something? 
It's that's a really good point, and you might actually be financially better off by going uh, same pay but four days a week. Uh, maybe working from home. Maybe getting a, a degree and then paying for it. Absolutely. If there's no cold hard cash there for you, then there are lots of other ways that you can inject flexibility, um, which is of value. As an employee, you value highly capable people. And so if flexibility is what's going to help you attract really good quality people, you're willing to do that. It's it's worth it. You create a much better working environment. So you just kind of got to think about it in a holistic sense, not just pay, what are all the facilities, what are the people like, what's the culture, and how does it also translate to your own sense of kind of peace of mind? Because your job is one thing, but you've also got a home life to balance as well. So if you've got working in an environment that gives you that kind of range, sometimes that's better than earning a little bit more. Salary sacrifice is an interesting one. We hear a lot about it. I don't really understand it. How does it work and why would we choose to do it? It's a great way to actually improve your superannuation situation because the more you are able to put into your super, the the more you'll have at retirement. So salary sacrifice is a really tax efficient way to enable us to put more money into our superannuation up to the limit of the um, 25,000 concessional cap. But it's a great way to actually enhance your super than just rely on the guaranteed components that go in. As women, why do we end up with so much less than men when we come to retire? Well, a variety of reasons. We talked earlier about women not really kind of asking for what we think we deserve, but also we take time off to have children. And so we have gaps in our earning patterns, which means less goes into super, which is why I think as women, we do need to think about how we fix and make up the gaps that come just through naturally the lifestyles that we choose to have. When it comes to the mindset of spending on what's important in the moment versus caring about wealth accumulation and what your retirement will look like, what is the best way to care more as much about your future as like some person way off in the future, like on a rocking chair, on a veranda with grandkids versus right now where you've got car, school, mortgage, all those things feel so much more important. I always look at, like to look at it at the, as the opportunity cost for gone. So if I'm spending five bucks on a cup of coffee now, what is the opportunity cost for gone if I went into my super fund? And you can actually see these calculators that do that for you. It's enough to make you stop drinking coffee. <laughs> but we don't. It's easy for me to say that. I mean, I can tell you in my 30s, you can just have open my wardrobe and the carnage is all there. But I'm older, I'm wiser. I feel people moving through now also quite wise too. When you look at where people are spending money, it's more not on material things, but uh, experiences. So they're thinking, you know what? I don't mind spending money on travel because it's an experience, it's money well, well spent. That's fine. That's It's better than shoes, I guess. <laughs> but it's kind of a bit of a balance, isn't it? Because you want to make sure that you can afford that lifestyle now as much as you can afford it later. And if anything, later, you may need even more because we just don't know what our health situation is going to be like, what the health system is going to be like to support us as well. So it is a case of balance. But always think of it this way. What pleasure is this giving me now? In most cases, materialistic things, it's instant and then you're back to normal the next day. 
there's nothing better than seeing your compound interest on a bank balance grow. I tell you what, that's so much better than any shoe. <laughs> yeah, I want to see that. I have an extra strong flat white, so yeah. I think I definitely need to put that into my super. What about property and houses? Having just moved back from overseas, I have friends who bought their properties 15 years ago and they're now worth lots of money and people feel like it's a wealth accumulation strategy. Where are we at now with that market slowing down a bit or just is that where people see their future funds going? We spend so much on our mortgages and our homes and our nests. The great Australian dream is to own a house and and so we all aspire to own a house but one of the things we do need to think about is with property comes a lot of cost. Firstly, sort of entry point is harder because you do need to have saved quite a bit to be able to afford to buy a house but even then it comes with cost, insurance, maintenance, taxes for example. So you do need to think about all of those costs that come with property and it's a long-term investment. There are other ways that you can invest. You can invest in in savings accounts. You can invest in bonds. You can invest in shares, depending on your risk profile. So there's lots of different ways to invest, and property is one of them. But understanding what it means to own a property is just as important. So making sure you read a lot about it. There's plenty of resources on the internet these days or talking to a financial advisor or, or family to get that advice is really important, I think, when you make those choices. We're all a bit obsessed with the house. We all like the idea of property because it is goes back to that primal instinct. It's forcing me to save because a lot of people say, I can't afford to buy a property. I'm not going to do it. That's fine. But are you investing elsewhere or is it going back into your lifestyle? If it's going back into your lifestyle, then know this, you're going to retire without a home. So you're going to be paying rent. If you live in Sydney, ASFA says you'll need at least a, a million dollars in your super to draw down a comfortable retirement. That is hard. That is hard because you chose the option not to buy property and not to invest in something else and just spend everything. So it's a case of if you're disciplined, great, go out and find another asset class. If not, then we do like that security because it is forced savings. But look, it is hard to get that deposit, a lot of discipline. But I meet so many people on different incomes and it does come down to one thing. It's not what you earn that counts. It's what you spend. You can make all the excuses you want, but I've seen people on 60000 a year get their deposit in five years and people on 200000 a year still try to save because they're not going out to eat. They're not going to the movies. It is a disciplined approach. And I guess how bad do you want it? I'm not saying it's easy. It's easy for me to say this because I brought my property at a very young age. But look, I have a son that was saving for a property and just blew the whole lot on an Xbox. He is only 10. But he did say to me that, man, a million dollars to buy a house in Sydney. I'll never save that. But it's that, you know, I felt disheartened for him because he just feels like he's already beaten. So if saving for the house just is too big, but you've got a little bit you can put towards your financial future what can women do? Well, there's a lot you can do. There's a lot of apps out there that can help you actually and you don't need a lot to save through those apps. At ComBank, we just launched the ComSec Pocket. It's designed for younger people to dip their toe into investing um, through an ETF and, and, you know, you can do it easily. You don't need a lot of money to save. You can All you need is $50 to get started. So, there's some great apps out there that you can um, use to just start practicing, really. 
Uh, yeah, there is. There's really no excuse not to actually jump in. And the app that Shes is talking about, there's other ones as well. So what these are called are micro-investing. Micro-investing is where small change invests in the market. I actually like the concept. It kind of plays on a bit of behavioural economics. In some cases, another one called raise, whereby if I spend, let's say I buy a coffee, which we shouldn't because we just talked about before we shouldn't, <laughs> but if I buy a coffee, $4.50, I have the option to raise it uh, up to, say, you know, 50 cents or a dollar, whatever the case you want to lock it in. That small change then gets invested into an exchange-traded fund. Now, if you're not quite sure what exchange-traded funds are, get onto that government website moneysmart.gov.au. Essentially, they track an index. You probably hear on the news the ASX 200 went up, it went down. It tracks a particular index and they're relatively cheap. So I actually like that. The, the downside of these micro-investing apps is that the fees, even though they're small, I think the Comsec pocket one's at $2 for trades. If you do a $50 trade, that represents quite a big proportion. Race has its own fees. I think it's $2.50 per month. That can add up if your balance is low. I think the sweet spot there is try and get it over $2,000 if you're doing that in there. I put my daughter onto it because I think it's a great way for her to expand her financial literacy on exchange-traded funds. So instead of putting the money in a bank, account. She's now so excited and she'll text me how her dividends are going. She's starting to talk about money. I think it's a great way to dip your feet in, but as your balance grows or maybe you are more confident, you can invest directly into exchange-traded funds. There's some other ones out there called super-rewards.com.au. Interesting concept. Again, if you're spending it, rounds it up, but instead of getting cash back, like the cashback site, so if you shop, you get some money back, this actually puts those cashbacks into your super fund. So it's a way to actually boost your super fund while you're shopping as well. So are these going to make you filthy rich? (laughs) Probably not. But are they going to actually improve your financial literacy, dip your toes in the market, get you engaged? Then yes. So I, you know, wish I had these when I was younger to start out with. If there are just a few practical tips that we could leave our listeners with today, what would they be? Save. Save. (laughs) Save. (laughs) I'd say keep it simple. Automate your savings. Spend some time with yourself or your partner and put some goals in place. And there's nothing magical about wealth creation. It's just getting in and doing it and get some good advice. Even the best of the best still get professional help. It's just a matter of where to get it. Effie, Shez, thank you so much for your time and insights today. We hope you've enjoyed listening to the Financially Fit podcast.